This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit, with your host, Pat McMahon. I hope you're doing well. I am. Uh, My guest seems to be happy, even though this is the first time uh, that he has been a part of The God Show. We'll check with him later to see how it went. But for you, you can tell me anytime, anytime that you want to get in touch with me, it's Pat McMahon, The God Show star, Worldwide Networks. Love increasing all that communication. Uh, Oh, and by the way, you know what I never remember to tell you? That we're really flexible here. The God Show staff of 163. We are delighted to listen closely to each and every one of you about subjects that we may not have covered or we may not have covered exactly the way you would like to have those subjects covered. So let us know. All you have to do is get in touch with us at Star Worldwide Networks, The God Show, and uh, let us know what you'd like to hear. Now, for those of you who are saying, why is it that you never talk about a news item that is as powerful and as commanding as immigration and the morality thereof. How about if we do that now? Okay? What a great idea. The morality of immigration, or the immorality of the way it's handled, and we're going to be doing it with Ray Andrew Navarro, and I'm going to let him tell you about Navarro from L.A. on. That's right. It's nice to have you with us. Thank you, Pat. It's uh, my privilege to be here. Tell us, everybody, about Ray. Well, Ray Andrew Navarro. I was born in Los Angeles, uh, that little tiny town called Los Angeles, and um, grew up there, born there, grew up there, Uh, went to high school, uh, did my uh, early working years there, uh, different jobs here and there before I finally decided to go to college. And uh, I have two brothers, two younger brothers, two older sisters. Uh, fantastic parents. My dad uh, died back in 2017, a Marine. I always have to say that about my dad. He was a Marine. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. And my mom still lives in Victorville. And I am happily married. Uh, my wife, Elisa, for 30 years. I have a son, Ray Joshua Navarro. He's uh, 28. And uh, I'm glad to be here. We have a particularly interesting career, too, in the clergy. Yes, yes. Um, I should mention that. I, I did forget that, didn't I? Your congregation That's right. My, will forgive you only if you resolve that now. That's right. I will resolve it. I did not know what I wanted out of life. And um, that's why after high school, I worked for five years doing this and that until I, uh, and it's a long story, I won't spill all the details, but I finally decided maybe I can become a, a pastor in my denomination, Seventh-day Adventists. We, we call us pastors. And so what I did was go away to college, got my bachelor's in theology, and then a couple of years later, my master, what they call master of divinity, although I'm not divine. I never understood why they call it master of divinity. But uh, So I have my master's, and I've been pastoring since 1989, in uh, various churches in California and now here in Arizona since 2002. We'll have to have you back to talk about 
the beliefs yes. of the Seventh-day Adventists, folks. Be because that's to. we don't do a lot of shows about religions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would much rather devote these hours to uh, man's humanity and inhumanity, the, mm-hmm. uh, the spiritual aspects of mankind, wherever that that element of culture might be, because this mm-hmm. is an international program. Right. Uh, but in in this case, I would love to have you back to talk about the Seventh-day Adventists, because like some other faiths, there's an enormous amount of misunderstanding, mm-hmm. but none quite as telling as all of the misunderstandings that exist in this country when we talk about immigration. Mm -hmm. We misunderstand one another. Mm -hmm. We misunderstand governments. We misunderstand in different languages we misunderstand. Mm -hmm. Uh, What immigration means to someone from Honduras uh, or from your family's home area of Mexico, Monterey, Mm -hmm. is very, very different in so many cases than what one thinks about either Texas or Arizona or North Dakota and uh, Vermont. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's why we're here to talk about what it is that we might be able to agree upon when it comes to the the moral obligations that we have regarding immigration. Uh, do, Do you remember at any time in your childhood or your adolescency thinking about what citizenship means in my childhood no let me <clears throat> you know as an adventist pastor i just wanted to preface this by saying what i say here for the next 60 minutes has nothing to do with the opinions official opinions of my church this is just or my particular congregation it's so. what every guest that's, says in advance of our That's right, that's right. So I just wanted to preface everything I say with, with, with that. It's the uh, Reign of Arrow show. This is the Reign of Arrow show. Um, you know, as a child, I uh, didn't really think about c- citizenship. All I knew was that I went to school, said the Pledge of Allegiance, and uh, I, grew, I did grow up in, uh, in East Los Angeles, so it's largely, even more so now, a Latino neighborhood. Um, but it didn't cross my mind as, as a child. Even in my later years and in, in high school, um, it, I, I guess I just took it for granted. You know, everybody's here. It, it didn't really cross my mind. Did your parents but, think about it? My parents, the, the, that's probably where I first got my first taste of immigration or foreigners or illegal aliens. It, it was through my father. <coughs> Excuse me. He was an accountant for many, many years in Los Angeles, a bookkeeper. And um, once in a while, he'd talk about his work, and he would say how there were uh, people coming to his office wanting to do uh, taxes, and, um, but they were, not, uh, they were foreign-born. That's probably just the amount of immigration that I had received from my father and as far as clients calling him and speaking Spanish, strangely enough, I did not grow up speaking Spanish. Neither did my siblings. I learned it later on in life. 
Um, so I am second, third generation Hispanic, which is the same story across the board. There's a lot of second, third generation Hispanic children that don't speak Spanish. So that was my case. So whenever, whenever I heard Spanish, I always thought these are people that were born in other places and they're here in the United States. That's basically the degree of what you're, the, to answer to your question, in my experience. Do people of faith, any faith, have, according to the book of Navarro, have a moral obligation to open their doors, open their doors uh, literally, open the doors of their churches, open the doors of their country? Pat, I think that is a very tricky question because we, as in, in my faith, and I think many faiths, we want to be known as good citizens, American citizens. Uh, we want to obey the laws of the land. We want to respect them. We may not agree with everything, but we want to respect them. And so I think on one, on one side of the coin, if we know or see or experience illegal immigrants, we know somebody personally that is here that is an undocumented individual. Part of us would say, well, that's not right. But the other part, the faith aspect kicks in where we, uh, in my opinion is everybody is a human being. Everybody should receive my respect, my consideration, my courtesy regardless of your race, regardless of what country you come from, regardless of the color of your skin, the way you talk, uh, accents. And so I, I think sometimes there's a tension. But honestly, I think for the most part, our seeing an individual as a human being sort of wins out, no matter where you come from, or if you're here as an undocumented individual. Do you think that you would feel the same way if your grandparents had come from Norway? I think so. As a human being? As a human being, yes. But the humanity of it all is in direct conflict with the laws of the land, some of the laws of right, the land. Right, right. That's right. So how do we resolve that conflict? Well, see, the reason we invited you, Ray, is because the minute I talked to the good folks at the interfaith movement mm -hmm. here, um, mm -hmm. we talked to them often and have them on often, because they represent 24, 25 different faiths, mm -hmm. many of them in other parts of the world in tremendous militant conflict mm -hmm. with one another, but mm -hmm. not here. Right. And the minute we, uh, we said, we want to talk about this subject, he said, Ray Navarro not only will be a great guest, but he'll solve the entire problem <laughs> by the time the hour is over. Sure, sure. Why is it in, that in America, and I can only speak for this country, why is it in America the immigration problem legally, legislatively, has gone on long before any of us mm -hmm. were ever around? It seems to be one of those unsolvable problems. Right. Why? I would agree. Um, I was 
thinking the same on the same lines on my way here. This is an, I don't think this problem will be solved um, within my lifetime or within my son's lifetime. I think it's just going to be a continual problem. The, I think the big difference today is things have become so politicized and polarized than compared to when I was growing up. Um, let me give you an example. My wife, she is a U.S. citizen, naturalized U.S. citizen many, many years ago. And she tells me some stories when she was growing up, um, just on the other side of, of our Arizona border, Nogales. Is that where, where her home was? Her, her original home is, is, she grew up in Nogales. That's not where she was born, but she grew up in Nogales, uh, Mexico. And she, would, she, would, she has told me stories how easy it was to cross the border. And agents would be there, U U.S. Customs agents or, or border uh, agents. And they knew, she would tell me, now I may get in trouble for saying this, but this is many, many years ago. This is probably 30, 40 years ago. It was a lot easier to cross the border. And they would ask the question, where are you going? I, we're just going to McDonald's, her and her, her friends. No problem. They go to McDonald's in Nogales, Arizona, and go back. Um, it, was, it was as easy as that. It wasn't as complex as, as it is today. And so I think politically and legally, things are a lot more complex today. As far as and it, it, the whole world is more complex. There's a lot more strife and internal things happening in these other countries. However, I think today it is, all of it is exacerbated here in this country because people tend to are, are polarize themselves, not only politically, but racially. And I, I think we can all see that in the last you know, years, a decade or two decades or so. And so when people from other countries are crossing our borders illegally, or, and, and even that's a politically charged word, illegal. We like to use the word undocumented. Um, that's a nice way of saying that's a illegal. Nice, that's a nice way, way to say it. It's the politically correct way to say it. But I think nowadays we tend to be a bit more judgmental um, based on a person's language and skin color than perhaps before. Well, if we want to go before, before, if we want to talk about Ellis Island before, mm -hmm. as people flooded right. this country right. with every known language on the face of the planet. Mostly European. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there was prejudice and bigotry back then mm -hmm. based on your nationality coming through uh, the gates of freedom. Give me your tired, your poor, your right. huddled masses right. yearning to be free, unless you're Jewish. <laughs> unless Or Catholic. Unless you're Irish. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing a history book, and I looked up at my father. As a young child, I looked up at my father, and I said, what is this picture of a sign in a window in New York? that says, workers needed, jobs here, no Irish. And another picture that showed apartments for rent, except 
to Irish people. Mm-hmm. And the same was true at different periods of time uh, of, uh, of Jewish people, no matter where they were from mm-hmm. in, in Europe. Uh, so, so there's always been that. Asians only allowed to work on the railroads mm-hmm. as they went across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that kind of thing on and on and on, even up to and including the camps that we had here in Arizona, for Japanese Americans right. during World War II. Right. That terrible crime against you. Right, right. So it's always, it's always been there, and it's almost always based on difference. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that you speak a different language, you look different than we do, right. so therefore you're not welcome. Is it ever possible to solve that? That seems like a human failing. I think, I think that is a philosophical, spiritual matter that um, laws will not be able to change. A law that comes from Pennsylvania Avenue or from here from uh, Arizona, Phoenix, the capital of Arizona, any laws that tell me I need to respect or, or invite, uh, whatever the law may be, as far as individuals that are unlike me are concerned, um, I may be able, I can obey a law. Let's say there's a law that says any undocumented worker in the United States, just for example, any undocumented worker in the United States will now have citizenship and the law says I need to respect and, uh, that individual. Well, I may obey that law on the outside by the letter. It's not going to change how a person may feel regarding somebody that's different than them on the inside. And so I think a lot of the problems that we have in immigration today, they're not going to be solved. I don't think an, an administration is going to solve everything. And, but I think as far as the way we connect with another individual, the way we relate to human beings, the way I treat you as a human being, that's a spiritual problem. That is going to depend on what I think about individuals, about other human beings that are unlike me, that may have a different education level, that look different, that speak different, that eat different, that smell different, uh, you know, personal spaces are, are, are different. That is going to depend on what I think of another human being, not so much on the laws of the land. And so I think a lot of the problems that we are having today is a spiritual problem. Then doesn't that spiritual lesson have to be taught from pulpits like yours? Oh, of course. Of course it does. All across the land. Why isn't it? I think in some cases it is. But some cases, that's not enough. No, it's not enough. And I think... um, I think this does need to be taught from the pulpits of our land. But even, I think, more effectively than depending on a pulpit is it starts at home. Mm -hmm. It starts in childhood. It starts with the parents. The home is the first school. That's where you learn your ideals. That's where we learn our philosophies of life from from mom and dad. But that's where you also learn, that's where you also learn bigotry. Exactly. Exactly right. You learn hatred, you learn love. 
you learn respect, you learn how to obey the laws of the house and respect mom and dad. And uh, I mean, parenting is another crisis, I, be <laughs> I believe, in our world today. That's another topic. Um, but you learn everything as a child from the home. And that's where it begins. I've long thought that also part of our problem with um, mistrust uh, and with unfamiliarity and bias is that so many of the faces are simply masks. The citizens that we're talking about from other countries that come here in the large numbers recently that you've seen trekking from mm -hmm. uh, El Salvador and, and Honduras, Honduras, walking mm -hmm. all that way, all the way through Mexico to the border, they're still faceless individuals. We don't have to look at a mom. We don't have to look at that child. We don't have to look at that guy and tell them we're suspicious of their motives mm -hmm. and they really have no place in our society. But if one of those families knocked on my door, knocked on the door of my home and said, I can't go home anymore because I'm terrified. I know that some members of my family will be killed. I'm hungry. I have nothing, but I will work. I wonder how many families would simply say, get out of here we don't want your kind in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I don't think many. I would agree with that. Uh, there would probably always be exceptions, I'm sure, um, because of uh, the, the ideas that individuals embrace and own. I don't care who you are, you're here illegally, you're going home. Don't tell me your sob story. So there's always going to be exceptions to that. But I, I would agree with you. All we see is what we see on the television screen. We are disconnected from that. Um, unless we are directly involved, we're on the border, we're picketing, or we're helping feed these people, or whatever the case may be, there is a distance as I, I would agree with you, there's the distance. They are, it's a faceless crowd. The news shots community. are from drones above right. the lines of people. Right. The, the, we're not going to hear individual stories. Uh, we're, we're not going to see that on the news. Uh, reporters going and, and interviewing these individuals and hearing their stories of, of suffering, of, of poverty, of whatever it may be in, in those countries. We're not going to hear those. So I'd agree with you, they are, they are faceless, and maybe in a certain sense, we can excuse ourselves but from being a little bit indifferent. Ray Andrew Navarro is a pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, here in the Valley of the Sun, and wherever you are on the planet, we're talking about immigration, the morality or immorality of the acceptance of those from another country, another culture, how do we do it? How do we do it the right way? Uh, how do we do it with the 11 million people that are already here that are, depending on your vocabulary, illegal or undocumented? Uh, these are the questions that so far have remained unanswered, not just in this country, because wherever you are, if you're listening in France, 
you know the problems that exist over there and some of the demonstrations and some of the violence with a fundamental background to that violence being those visitors from someplace else who speak differently, who look differently. So we're certainly not alone in this case. I don't know how many places there are in the world that have sanctuary cities. We do, and I would like to know what our guest has to say as a man of the cloth. Mm -hmm. There, um, I had to do a little bit of research on this. I think there's about 300 of them currently in our country. I had no idea. Um, some sanctuaries, well, there are some sanctuary states. For example, California is a sanctuary state. Um, you can easily look on a map and you know go online and, and see all of these um, either cities or counties. Oregon has a lot of counties that are sanctuary counties. In which Arizona, means what? Which means that if an undocumented individual is, uh, let's say they're driving down the street and they're speeding, they don't have a license and they're caught by the police. Um, they don't have a license. They not only get a ticket, but then... Through questioning, there's no, there's no um, proof of legal residency. Then that person is, it's not that, uh, by the way, illegal entry or undocumented entry is not um, a federal crime. It's a civil, it's a, it's a misdemeanor. And so what a sanctuary city means or county or state is that ICE cannot come and take that person away and deport them if this person is not uh, convicted of a crime. They may have a misdemeanor because they don't have a license or they were speeding, but ICE cannot take them. And so there's a conflict, there's a tension between local authorities and the federal authorities, in this case, um, ICE agents. And so that sanctuary state or city, uh, that individual is to a certain degree protected. The undocumented person is, is protected from being deported. But it also means that state, that city, that county can continue to, of itself, as an entity, break the law? Well, yes and no. Um, you will hear both sides of this. There are two sides. One will say it is unconstitutional to uh, hold that individual and, 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 until ICE arrives and deport them. The other side will say uh, it is unconstitutional. The other side will say, no, you are obstructing justice from ICE, and they do need to come. So you will, I've read both sides of the story. And what do you say? Which side are you on? I personally believe that there are a lot of undocumented people. In fact, I would say, I would venture to say here on the air, I would say most are not involved in illegal or criminal activity. And so I don't think it's right to deport them because somebody is holding them in an uns sanctuary county or, or state and the local authorities are holding them where they are not guilty of a crime and they're being deported because they got pulled over because they don't have, they're driving without a license. You know, almost every good law, almost every good action on the part of any legislative group originally comes from a good idea from an individual. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to a group of people and, it's refined and so on. So I'm asking you as an individual for a good idea, <laughs> just Ray Navarro's idea of what it is that would be the best possible thing to do 
with the 11 million people that are here already. Oh, my goodness. Can we get off the air now? So- <laughs> uh, yeah. No, you have the whole I, rest of the half hour I have up. the whole rest of the half hour just to answer that question. Um, you well, must have thought about it, Ray. I have. I would not. It breaks my heart to see um, families that are separated and children are separated. It, it's just, I don't think that is the answer. Um, and uh, it, it's a very, very hard question to answer. I believe that, and according to statistics, as I said before, most of the undocumented individuals here in the United States are not criminals. They're working, trying to put food on the table. Um, the, the children are in school. Well, children born here are U.S. citizens, but the youngsters are, are in school. Um, you still have to pay federal taxes, whether you're legal or illegal. There's, I'm glad you brought that up. You still have to pay taxes. A lot of people think somehow no, 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 no. no taxes are no, ever they paid. Still, they still have to pay their Social Security and, and federal taxes, um, whether, <laughs> as I said, you're, so they're all paying those taxes. I think it would be fair to, now I can just hear somebody saying, yeah, but you're rewarding them. No, no, don't this, pay any attention to those. Yeah, folks. don't pay attention to those. I think something has got to give. Something needs to be established where these um, hardworking, honest people are granted citizenship in a shorter time than what it takes now. There is no such thing as a quote-unquote line for citizenship. There is no such thing. If a person wants to come in the country legally, it can take five, ten years. And most of the people that come into this country, according to statistics, are coming with what they call a family uh, connection. There's a family connection somewhere, someplace here in the United States. Which does help. Which does help, obviously. And so most people coming into this country are frustrated because there is no line, are frustrated because it takes, you know... And I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, a quarter of a lifetime to finally get uh, legal residency here in the United States. And in their uh, own native countries, things are so bad, usually economically. Usually it's a poverty reason why people come here. They want to, uh, you know, gain a better life for themselves. Um, not necessarily become American, quote unquote. Um, like the Spanish people would say, uh, the gringos. Not, they don't want to become gringos. They just want to make a better life for themselves. In many cases, they send money back home to help their relatives. So there's a lot of honest people here that are undocumented. I think that should be granted uh, citizenship um, based on their record. Now, there are those. It's, it's always a risky business, Pat. You're going to get people that are involved in criminal activity. It's going to happen. It, uh, it's going to happen. <laughs> In those cases, um, I think background checks, background checks for everybody. If you come across uh, illegally and you have a record here in this country of illegal activities or criminal activities, I'm not talking about uh, speeding, <laughs> about cr- with criminal no, activities. Felony. Then, yes, I would support deportation for those individuals. I would support that. But as again, I said, I think the the majority of people here are don't fit into that group, and I think somehow we have to make it easier for them to gain citizenship. 
how to do that, that's not for me to answer. I have no idea how that would be done. And it certainly is far from the simple effort that we sometimes hear described. Why don't they just go through the system? Let me give you an example of a conversation that I had with a retired immigration officer had been uh, in that part of the federal government for 30 years. And I said to him in an interview that I did a couple of years ago, tell me how long you think in general it would take. If I'm a young man in my 20s or early 30s from Hermosillo, and I want to do it the right way, I want to go through the system and wind up as a citizen, how long would it take for me to get that official stamp of approval by this country? He said, what do you do for a living in Hermosillo? I said, nothing particularly skilled, uh, but something that would be advantageous if I came to the country, to your country. Uh, I'm a mechanic. And uh, I am very, very good at what I do on domestic and European cars. And I know that I could get a job in that field almost anywhere. And I said, so how long would it take me? He said, never. And I said, I don't think I understood you. I said, well, wait a minute. I, I want to apply for citizenship and, right. and do all of the things I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I'm a young man from Hermosillo, Mexico. I'm a mechanic, and I want to come to the United States and eventually become a citizen. What was the answer? Never. What is a mechanic? That's probably the thinking. How in the world can a mechanic from another country, we have enough here. How can a mechanic contribute to American society? Um, If you were to have a college degree, or if you're an engineer, um, uh, if you had these uh, these higher uh, a, a higher level of education and skills, a physician, a physician, uh, a, a nurse, a technician, um, the entry would be easier. And in fact, I, I recently read this. This is what uh, our president Donald Trump is advocating: that those with such skills and other higher skills it would be made easier for them to legally enter into the United States as opposed to the unskilled worker. And I'm not saying mechanics are unskilled. That is a skill in and of itself. No, that's why I chose that. Though. Right. Uh, that's, that's one of those things that is sought after, but that we right. have many here in America. Right. Uh, and he said never. He said, it, he said never. never. And it really stopped me cold because I thought that that answer would never be there for anyone asking what the possibilities were. What should I study? What should I do? How should I go about this? Don't bother. Stay where you are. Right. But the house on the hill still looks so glamorous. Right. And it's just right over there. Right. And what we would feel is a very low-paying job, an auto mechanic. Imagine in their native countries what the pay would be compared to our pay here, you'd be in, in, in uh, you know, 
comparing the two, a mechanic over here would practically be a millionaire. Yes. Now, I mean, I'm exaggerating yes. to make a point, <clears throat> but they would fare much better here, albeit the standard of living is higher, the cost of living is higher, but they would fare much better here than they would in their own in their own. When you study this subject, uh, Ray, um, not as not only as someone who is interested in his background uh, as uh, as a Latino American, uh, but you must have come across the word bracero, and that's always fascinated me because it isn't as if the problem didn't have a solution for some at some point in our recent history. But the Bracero program allowed people to come over, work agriculturally, and either send the money back or take the money back, whichever they chose, mm -hmm. and they could cross back and forth on the border between here and Mexico for the planting season, the agricultural seasons, mm -hmm. the citrus and all of those things, that's really seemed to work. And then the program ended. Mm -hmm. Why can't we have something like that? I don't know. <laughs> um, what I could say is these agricultural workers picking the strawberries and, and the lettuce and what have you, um, I would venture to say that most... Americans, uh, citizens. And when I mean American, I don't mean the Caucasian. I mean American citizens. No, the, is what I, is what the I'm melting referring to. pot that we have. <clears throat> Correct. I would venture to say most of them without a high school degree, high school diploma, uh, on the lower income level, would probably not take those jobs. I think that's been established. <laughs> they would not take those jobs. And... Um, and so our country, by and large, has relied heavily on these migrant workers to do what um, our own citizens would not do. And uh, so I think that would, that is, uh, they help put the food on our table. I mean, if you, if you want to look at it that way. Um, and we their table. Exactly, because they send money back home. And so it's profiting not only us, but it's profiting them as well. You're a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, you are acquainted, I know, uh, with the ministers, pastors, rabbis, and priests from other faiths. Aren't the churches right now struggling uh, with the moral law versus civic law? Right. I think there is a tension there. I could say this. Our... Um, our denomination, the Seventh Adventist denomination, we um, we do not um, advocate employing undocumented workers. Um, that is a that's probably across the board. So there's a tension. The Seventh Adventist Church, we want we seek to obey the laws of the land, the IRS laws, and you have to fill out the proper forms, etc. If it's a 1099, if it's a contract worker, etc. We strongly believe in this, and so um, we don't endorse hiring undocumented workers simply because. And there's other interests as well. Not only because it's a law of land, but you could lose your, you, you could come into trouble with the government. Um, 
Now, to say that every single Seventh-day Adventist member in the United States of America is, has legal status or citizenship status, we all know that that's not true. <laughs> that is not true. And so there is a tension there. If a person who is undocumented, and I'm not talking about employment now, if a person who is undocumented, um, it, it, uh, wants to become a member of the church, they have expressed their faith in, in Jesus Christ, um, they have gone over the tenets of our faith, etc., um, we have no problem with baptizing them. That is not a government legal issue. That is a moral, uh, spiritual uh, uh, issue or, or realm. And so I think in our church, uh, is pastors or even church members, there will be, I think there will be some of that tension. What is our obligation, our moral duty to the laws of the land, but what are our moral obligations or duties or, or stances as far as the spiritual aspect, who is this person? Um, do we embrace this person as part, part of our church, as part of our faith or not, simply because they're undocumented? No. What if an undocumented family showed up in the middle of the week at your church and said, we come from a long line of Seventh-day Adventists members of the faith mm -hmm. and uh, we're from Guatemala and we don't want you to hire us mm -hmm. we want you to protect us mm -hmm. would you help them in any way can I pass on that question no <laughs> um, boy I can I can just see the emails that I'll be getting well, yes, and all of them I probably would. will be very generous right. at collection time. Well, <laughs> this is me speaking. This is myself. I am not representing my church. Ray Navarro. I'm representing Ray Navarro, so I appreciate that. I would personally not feel comfortable with a family that has struggled, and I know this family, um, there's been a connection there. We've, uh, we've become friends. I would not feel comfortable exposing them to ice when I know this family. I've, I've come to love this family. Um, they're undocumented. I would not feel comfortable doing that. I, I, couldn't, my, I couldn't bring myself to do that. And if they I were strangers? It, if they were strangers? If they were strangers and arrived at your door. At my, my house or my church? No, the church. The church. Um, I would not turn them away. And this is what I was saying earlier. I think there is a higher law in my mind. There is a higher law that um, supersedes the laws of the land. And that is, these are human beings. These are individuals that are seeking some help. They're seeking financial help. They need clothing. They need to stay in a motel. They, they, they need some help. My higher law says this is a human being reaching out to me, to another human being, especially as a, as a church representative, especially as a clergy. I wouldn't turn them away. That's, that's not me. You know, we so often hear that among the complaints uh, about 
anything that would suggest uh, a border that was more open uh, than it is right now. Um, that the benefits to be accrued uh, are the kinds of things that encourage other folks to come across the border, either walking through the desert, across a river, however they would get here. Because the benefits of living in America, educationally, medically, all of those things, are so much more than in so many other countries. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I really wonder if the argument that is proposed on so many different levels, that no benefits should be given to anyone who is not a citizen, uh, should be the law of the land. Mm-hmm. That you should not be able to go to public schools, you should not be able to take advantage of uh, medical care, even in emergencies. And you know there are people mm-hmm. who strongly feel that way. Mm-hmm. Right. It seems to not be fair <clears throat> when we say you have to pay Social Security, you have to pay into the Social Security pot, you have to pay your, your taxes and even property taxes for those you know, owning homes or trying to purchase homes. It seems a little bit inconsistent to expect them to pay that into the pot that benefits everybody, benefits everyone, and yet they not receive some type of benefit or some type of help. Now, how far those benefits should be extended to undocumented workers, um, I, I don't have an answer to that. I don't know how far they should extend, but I would say the very basic needs, medical, um, if somebody is going into an emergency, can you prove you're a, 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 a legal resident in the United States? No then I'm sorry you're going to have to bleed to death. I mean, that's an exaggeration. But I think they should be at least uh, be able to receive the very, very basic needs. Um, but again, these, uh, the extent of these social benefits, I, I really don't have an answer to that. Basic safety is one. Safety is one of them, correct. But that also is something that secondarily isn't available to the families of a lot of those 11 million people that have been here for a while. Mm-hmm. As I've heard the story so many times. My mother, my grandmother, the family I was raised in, they were terrified that there would be a break-in. They were terrified that there would be a fire because they didn't feel they could safely call any of the authorities. Correct. They couldn't call the police. They sometimes felt they couldn't call firefighters mm-hmm. because they were here illegally. Right, right. There's something wrong with that kind of fear. Right. Yes, I would agree. In fact, um, there are some uh, police um, organizations that, and I, I read this, I, you can see I brought my, some of my papers here, uh, and I've been reading up on some of the things here. There are some police um, organizations that feel um, that uh, areas that are not sanctuary cities, for example, um, can actually experience more crime than those that are sanctuary cities, cities simply because of what you had just stated. If I know 
if I am an undocumented individual and I my house is broken into or I'm a female and my husband there's domestic abuse or sexual abuse or some some serious crime and I fear calling the authorities because they will find out I'm undocumented and they will call ICE and I will be held in a jail cell waiting to be deported where I didn't commit any crime. A crime was committed against me. That fear is real and many people will not call the police just because of that fact for fear of being, uh, fear of being deported. If that is true, as some statistics um, suggest, if that is true, then those crime rates may likely be higher in those areas than in those areas where ICE will be refrained from taking a person away simply because they committed a misdemeanor. There's, there's a lot of conflict. And again, I have read both sides of the stories. One will say, no, ICE does not do that. The other side will say, yes, they do do these things. And so it's, it's just a very complex issue. What a puzzle. What it a, is a puzzle. What a conundrum that doesn't seem to be even close to having reasonable practical solutions presented. I haven't heard any. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's sad because also one has to look at the reality that in all too many cases, it isn't the language that you speak or the culture that you came from. It's the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's easier for someone from Switzerland to find harbor right. and uh, virtual citizenship here than it is if you have brown skin, right. black skin, if you're Asian. And that, that in itself is a, a moral issue. Yes, it is. I would, I would agree with you wholeheartedly on that one. Um, skin color does make a difference, unfortunately so, in this country. Your um, native country does make a difference, unfortunately, in this country. And I, don't, and I, and I say that uh, with, um, with heartache because for the most part, it is the Latino race, it is the Hispanic race, that is more looked down upon because of the countries they come from, the color of their skin or their language, than, as you said, somebody with fairer skin, somebody who may be a little bit taller, somebody who may come from a country that is not a third world country. Um, it, it, there, there are differences, and people do make those uh, ex, uh, uh, distinctions in their own minds, which is why I said earlier, I think our biggest problem is a moral spiritual problem. It's not so much a political or legal problem. It's a spiritual problem in the way we view each other as human beings. That and is the issue that can only be resolved by one way, and that's for another conversation. <laughs> but what is that way? I think that way is getting closer to uh, what I believe is, uh, is the answer to the spiritual problems, and that is... Um, understanding how our creator God views people. Um, they are, we are all, as long as we have red blood flowing through our veins, which includes everybody on this planet, um, then we, I believe we are all worthy of each other's courtesy and respect, um, uh, well treatment, 
as uh, Jesus said in the golden rule, treat others as you would want to be treated. Um, I think that is the deeper moral issue behind all of this, is just the way we treat each other. Are you disappointed that more churches are not actively presenting that message? I don't know if churches are actively uh, doing it or not. I would think on a gut level, most churches would agree with what I'm saying. Would agree. Uh, churches or not, even uh, people that are not of a particular faith, um, let's say the atheist community, for example, that don't proclaim a faith in a supernatural power. I think most people would agree with this. We are to treat each other as we would want to be treated ourselves, um, to treat each other humanely, not with suspicion or racism or, or hatred or, or bigotry. I think um, if we could live in a world like that, it would be a much better place. Uh, that's, a, that's a pie in the sky type of... <laughs> Do you I feel do. no? Do you feel that that is really totally unrealistic? No, and I don't. Outside feel the boundaries of our ability to make it happen, I don't think it's unrealistic. I think that that's an ideal that we should always shoot for, that we should live our lives by. But I don't think it's unrealistic. Um, it may be you. It it may be an idea that'll fall flat on its face and hit a hard place in the thinking of many people who have just convinced themselves this particular race, this particular culture is inferior to mine. We have an incredible capacity to convince ourselves of certain ideas regardless of what anybody else may say or regardless of evidence to the contrary. Um, so there's always going to be that element in our, in our world. There's always going to be racism. There will always be prejudice. It's always going to be there. But I think the fight to, to counteract this type of thinking um, needs to be engaged always. You're an inspirational guy, Ray. I hope that people really do hear the simplicity of the solution that you offer. Mm -hmm. Because that really isn't one of those things that seems to be a matter of your annual income, what neighborhood you're in. Right. Um, we have one minute left. Mm -hmm. So you have a 60-second conversation coming up with anyone that you think is the most powerful person in the United States. Doesn't have to be the president, doesn't have to be a specific person in office. But just in your mind, the one who is most influential, what would you ask that person to do to make this happen? It's often said the most powerful person in the world is the President of the United States. Politically, uh, that may be true, but the most powerful people are the ones that influence others. Leadership is influence. It's not position or authority, it is influence. And so I would say, for anybody who's listening to me, the influencers, nowadays we have social media. I would say the influencers in social media, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, Facebook, uh, Facebook I would say the message of treating each other as equals, regardless of who you are, needs to be shared through the, the major influencers 
in our society. All of you who are on Facebook, Instagram, any of you people, it's as simple then to remember that message as going back to check, what were those words again? Treating everyone else as you would want to be treated? That golden rule thing? If this is the first time you've heard about it, please pass it on to your neighbors, won't you? And when they say, where on earth did you hear something like that? Tell them it was the God Show, won't you?